Thank you for that good music. Isn't it fun to worship here? To, to catch the glory of God and get to sing about it. And uh, this morning, uh, I want to ask you the question, where in the world are we headed? You know, occasionally uh, you hear reports that in 10 years we're going to be totally out of a planet, uh, all kinds of false reports. And my purpose this morning is to help us understand as Christians where we're at and where we're going. Uh, <clears throat> we're headed for the greatest battle that has ever happened on planet Earth. And then the next time I speak, we're going to go from that to heaven. But we can't do it all today. So I want to warn you now, I'm going to leave you when we have the victory of the greatest battle ever fought. But, <clears throat> you know, God has asked us to walk by faith, which means that we have to believe the promises of God <clears throat> are going to come to pass and we can follow him. It's so important for every believer to understand what God's plan is for us. And then we live in light of it today. Our world is being prepared for the judgment of God. <clears throat> the greatest battle is coming that will end the nations of the world being defeated. It'll be a monumental time and these, the defeat of these nations will usher in the reign of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's going to be as literal as the person sitting next to you. You know, Jesus is coming back physically. And he is going to rule and reign physically. <clears throat> One of the tools... Satan is using to prepare the citizens of this world <clears throat> is the doctrine of demons. The doctrine of demons is anything that removes God from the center of it. We can give some more details about that, but that's an easy way to remember it. What are some of the doctrines of demons in our world? Well, <clears throat> evolution. We didn't get here without God. He made us. Abortion. Sexual identity confusion. Racial confusion. Amorality. The denial of scripture. Global warming, 
and the list goes on of life without God. You see, Satan wants people to think they are in control and they have no room for God in their thinking. I want to remind you of one of the painful lessons in the book of Genesis. You remember the beauty and glory of creation. What a wonderful place that was. Everything started out perfect. Sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve sinned, and it's been a downhill run. And think of what Satan did. In the first six chapters of the Bible, in Genesis 6-6, God makes this statement, it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. Why? Because their hearts were on evil continually. Now, that's an incredible statement. Just the time before the flood And that was the condition of the citizens of this world. God sent a flood and destroyed the citizens of the world. And Noah and his family found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Where are we? Where are we today in the big scheme of things? I appreciated Pastor Paul's message last Sunday on the Church of Philadelphia, a church that was a faithful church, a church that was a believing church, a church that was a following church of Jesus Christ. Without taking too much time, Christ is building his church. That's what he said he was going to do. The church in the New Testament is called a mystery. What is the mystery? It wasn't previously known in the Old Testament. What did they know and do in the Old Testament? They did the tabernacle, the temple, animal sacrifices, and Christ came and paid the once and for all price for our sins. And the church is not only called a mystery, it's called the body of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what's the next step for the church? The Bible is very clear. The church is looking for the rapture. The voice of the archangel, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we which are alive will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what God has promised he's going to do for his body, for his bride. He has promised he's not going to pour his wrath out on his body. That's everyone here this morning who knows Christ. It's God is not 
going to pour his wrath out on us who are his body or who are his bride. Sometimes people get this confused. They don't realize there's a difference between the rapture and the coming of Jesus Christ on earth. Let me give you some things to think about real quickly. The rapture, Christ comes in the air and his church is caught up to meet him. When he returns, he's, not, he's going to return with his church. The rapture of Christians takes place in 1 Thessalonians 4. In Revelation, there's no rapture when Christ returns. There's no judgment on earth when the rapture occurs. And when Christ returns, the the judgment of God is heavy on the face of the earth. The church is taken to heaven. After the return of Christ, he sets up his earthly kingdom. The church, the rapture of the church is imminent. You know what that means? Some of you young people who know Christ. When I first became a believer, I was thankful that somebody told me, You know, if the Lord calls us home right now, we're going to be changed. We're going to have a body like his glorious body. And we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The imminency of the church being with Jesus Christ has been a great hope for believers down through the centuries. Before Christ comes back the second time, he's going to come back in judgment. There will be a lot of signs, and we're going to cover those in just a minute. The rapture is for believers only. The second coming, uh, no one will miss him. He will come in great glory. At the rapture, there's no mention of Satan. At the second coming, Satan will be bound and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The marriage of the Lamb will occur after the rapture. And in Revelation, his bride descends with him. When the rapture occurs, he'll only be seen by believers. When the second coming occurs, everyone will see him. The rapture begins the tribulation. And what is the tribulation? It's God's judgment 
on this earth. Let me give you a quick overview of the book of Revelation. The first chapter, you know, talks about the glorious Christ. The, the next two are the message to the churches. And 4 through 19 talk about God's judgments on the nations of the earth. We hear about the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, and Satan's intense effort to thwart the plan and the judgment of God. God's judgment is unfolded in the book of Revelation. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 2. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Did, do you remember how Jeremiah described Jacob's trouble? Jeremiah 37, he said, Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob or Israel. You shall be saved out of it. Not only does the book of Revelation talk about the judgments of the nations of the world, but it talks about getting Israel's attention. Israel will repent. God will destroy, uh, God will revive a nation. He will save a remnant of people. You say, how do you know that? Well, that's one of the purposes of the judgment of God on the nations of the world is to wake Israel up. How many are you going to wake up? Well, I don't know the exact number, but I do know there's 144,000 at least. No, and two more witnesses. It's a large number of people. Think about this. 12,000 from each tribe are given in the book of Revelation. The remnant that will be saved, they'll be talking about the Messiah. There will be a time of world evangelism, and at the same time, there will be <clears throat> the strongest effort of Satan to overthrow the message of God to humanity. Now, this morning, I'm not going to take you through the seals or the trumpets or the bowl judgments, and you can study that. I'm going to take you through my grocery list. Uh, I just made a list of what's going to happen in the seven years of tribulation. It's just a brief list, but <clears throat> I want you to think about this with me. It's going to be a time of war or wars all over the world. Time of famine. A time of world persecution of believers. These Jewish evangelists are going to be preaching the gospel a lot of people are going to trust Christ and they'll lose their life because of it. 
that's when the nations of the world get their full desire to destroy believers. Another one that fascinates me in Matthew 24, 7, Jesus says about this time, for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So you go through the book of Revelation and you're going to find four different times there are earthquakes. You want to hear about the first one? Revelation 6.12. He opened the sixth seal and I looked and behold there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and every island, verse 20, fled away and no mountains were found. Did you hear that? The islands fleed away. We lose the snowies. The Rockies. That's the first earthquake. Then you follow on to the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. The fifth verse. And it says this. Then an angel took a censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then, in Revelation chapter 11, after the two witnesses have had three and a half years, by the way, the tribulation is seven years uh, Long and it's divided in two halves, three and a half and three and a half. And you have two witnesses, whether it's Moses and Elijah, we don't know, but they're two Old Testament saints. And they bear witness of Christ and they bring powerful evidence and witnesses of the power of God and, and the will of God and people hate them. They die, their bodies are left in the streets of Jerusalem. At one time, people said, that can't happen because it says the whole world's going to watch it. Nobody here would question how the whole world could watch two dead men lay on the streets of Jerusalem, could we? Get your phone out and look. Get to your TV. And anyway... These fellows were dead and three days later raised up. And verse 13 of, of Revelation 11 says this. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory. And the and gave glory to the God of heaven. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been in an earthquake. 
But some years ago, I was at the Shepherds Conference, getting ready to go home. I was at the Burbank Airport, and they had just had their big earthquake out there that shook things up in that area quite well. And all of a sudden, we started to get a tremor, and the building started to shake. The next thing I know, I was hearing people scream and run. Why? Because they had been through the other earthquake that just shook them up. And here, we find people terrified over this earthquake. And then... The last earthquake, Revelation 16, 8, and it's during the bowl judgments. It says this in verse 18. A great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So you can tell anybody you know, the big earthquake is coming. We haven't got the big one yet. And it's going to come here. And so great was that earthquake. So you have four earthquakes. Now, you can think about this. There's no chapter and verse for this. But what's God doing? He is readjusting planet Earth. I think there's strong evidence that before the flood, there was one landmass. I think there's a strong reason to believe that during the millennium, which we would get to when we do this again, the millennium, there's going to be one landmass. And God's rearranging planet Earth for the millennial rule and reign for Christ. In Revelation, the judgments, falling stars and asteroids, world wide strong winds and hurricanes and tornadoes. If you add up the death toll, it's 60% of the world population. If that happened today, it would be between four and five billion people lost their lives in seven years. Uh, Fires, loss of vegetation, Severe famine and death. The oceans are filled with blood. Worldwide water problems. A lot of it is bitter. Good water, there's a severe shortage. It talks about the days and nights being shortened. How? A third of the moon, a third of the sun. And uh, an amazing time in Revelation 8, 12. The world is going to have a period of five months of darkness talked about in one of the judgments in Revelation. There will be a worldwide demonic attack that Satan's going to progressively intensify. Out of the Euphrates River, it says, 200 million demonic riders 
are going to come. These are interesting rascals. This is part of the sixth trumpet judgment. It says, They rode like horses, breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, and heads of horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouth. Now, before you get frustrated, remember John, the writer of the book of Revelation. God is showing him these things, and in human terms, he's trying to describe what he saw. And under the leadership of the Spirit of God, he gave us an incredible insights. In the book of Revelation, there's human agony, sores and disease, and people being burned by the sun. The time of the final war among nations is building up at the end of that seven years. The battle of Armageddon is going to take place. Think of this. That last battle starting up north of Jerusalem, the valley of Megiddo, down to the south, says there will be blood up to the reins of horses. That's going to be three, four feet of blood flowing from the death that occurs at the Battle of Armageddon. You know, all this time of the judgment of God on this, the nations of this earth. God's presence through the two witnesses, through the 144,000, and for the first half of the, the tribulation, the worship at the temple at Jerusalem. And one of the things that's going to start this thing off is the nation Israel will get back their temple. They'll have a, a, a peace treaty with the Antichrist that he will break. And then Christ will come back and he will rule with a rod of iron. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 19 if you have them this morning. I never ever go tired of reading this portion of Scripture. It's, it's, it's really important. And by the way, if you're looking for that Scripture, where is the bread... Blood up to the breadth of horses, Revelation 14, 20. Uh, it uh, gives some details about that, but right now I want to focus in on Revelation 19. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one setting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, that's the description of our Lord Jesus. You remember when he came the first time? He came as a helpless baby. He lived a life of humility. When he comes back the second time, he's coming back 
in great power and great glory. Notice verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head, many diadems. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. So he is going to be majestic and glorious and royal. Verse 13, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name which is called the Word of God. And look at verse 14. That's where you and I come in the picture. He says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on the white horse on white horses. Everybody here is going to be able to ride a horse. In glory, we come back with him. And it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Jesus is not going to be sword fighting these Gentile nations of the world. He's going to speak. And his words will destroy. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Next time I talk about the millennium, I'm going to talk about ruling with a rod of iron. That's what Jesus is going to do. Now, notice this. He says, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Revelation 14 talks about the results of that. On his robe... And on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some other scriptures that reflect on this very thing. Zechariah 14.4 On that day, this is the day we just read about, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Anybody who goes to Israel, one of the things you cannot get out of your mind is standing on the Mount of Olives and looking at the city of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall be moved northward and the other half southward. It's going to be a big valley and a river from the Mediterranean Sea to the Dead Sea. The whole understanding of very soon could happen in seven years. The Lord could take us out of here today and the judgments would start on the nations of the world where the stage is being set. 
You know, a lot of people would say, you know, that old man that's preaching today, he's crazy. Why would the world say that? Because they don't believe Jesus is real. They don't believe his promises are true. And they don't believe God's in charge. And he is. And he's going to judge the nations of the world. Are you living your life today as though you could be in his presence tonight? How do you warn others about God's coming wrath on this earth? Do you know if people don't know Christ, they're going to go through the horrors of the tribulation period? Does understand Christ's return affect your view of truth? I hope when you hear some of the lies and the doctrines of demons, it'll upset you. I hope you won't just go along like the frog in the kettle. Does the coming of Christ affect your life at all? And as a Christian... Do you look forward to physically and literally spending eternity with Jesus Christ? Friends, we have a living hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. And the fact God is in control, he has our future charted out. And I have good news for every believer here this morning. We win, and we win forever because of what Christ has done. He loved us, and he's given us eternal hope. And, uh, you know, we have a wonderful Savior. Aren't you glad God says he's not going to pour his wrath out on us? But he's going to take his own home. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Christ says, hey, we're going to go back and defeat the nations of the world, and I'm setting up my kingdom. And we're going to saddle up and come with him. Maybe they'll be saddled. Maybe we will be bareback. I don't know. But I know we're coming, and I know it's real. And every believer has this precious hope in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know for sure if they were to die where they're going to spend eternity. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now we pray you would work in each of our hearts and may we be more devoted to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.